James Anderson, can you do our sending out prayer when we're done here tonight? Okay, all right, thank you. Boy, Lee is spoiling me. He has all this set up, but uh, he uh, is, is with his family tonight, and I respect that. And I appreciate Todd uh, stepping in here, actually, tonight because uh, Ron Belote was scheduled, and his mother's service is uh, tomorrow in uh, northwest Arkansas. Uh, um, I think it's at noon at um, at Beard. Yes, it is. It in the newsletter? I'm sure it is. There you go. Uh, so the service for Frida Belote will be at uh, it'll be noon. Beard's Funeral Chapel in Fayetteville, and um, yeah, just continue to support uh, Ron and Debbie and. Uh, Ron's family, and Gina's, Gina's still going to be in Bulgaria. They, I was talking to Ron about it, and they, um, you know, they had just seen her, and it'd be very hard for her to, uh, to get back here, and that's, um, that's tough, but it's the kind of decisions that people make when they go to work in the mission field. So let me ask you a little quiz tonight. Um, we've got a holiday today, and May is a, a month of holidays. You know, we've got a holiday coming up in June, June 9th. Anybody know off the top of your head what that is? It's your anniversary. There you go. It's the Chadwell anniversary. Well, you picked a good day for your anniversary. Oh. Actually, your anniversary is going to be on Pentecost. So... There will be an outpouring of the Spirit. Uh, and um, the, uh, yeah, June 9th is Pentecost. And that, now, we tend to think of Pentecost as this historical event once upon a time. Pentecost is always calculated 50 days after Easter. And um, it doesn't show up on our calendars. There's, there's not a lot to it. Easter shows up. We expect that. But Pentecost will be that Sunday, uh, you know, 50 days after Easter. Easter. Now, Pentecost is the, um, um, is the title for tonight's uh, lesson on basics because we've been talking about the basics of the Spirit. And Pentecost, um, Pentecost is a very important event, but one that we, we tend to overlook. Pentecost is the Holy Spirit's big day. And it's a big day for us in our relationship with God's Holy Spirit. Because some things come together at Pentecost that, uh, that matter even today. So I'll tell you what, uh, let's look at the uh, account of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Jesus uh, is risen and you, like we, we mentioned this morning in the sermon, Jesus um, spends 40 days uh, with uh, his disciples. And so, you know, there you, after his resurrection, 40 days, and that, uh, you know, that, that, that clock towards Pentecost is going to be uh, happening. And there's, there's, there's a Jewish festival that's going to happen uh, at the same time uh, that we count Pentecost. But, but the point is, is that Jesus has already said, for example, in John 16, he's already promised that when he departs, uh, God will send another counselor or another comforter. The word is paraclete. And uh, I, I like to translate that, and this may be another discussion, 
as another encourager that some something that is that does the exact same thing that Jesus did when he was with them this this spirit is going to be given to them and there's going to be a um, a connection to God now that will not be limited in time and space the way Jesus was when he was with them as a man but now there will be this connection with God through the Holy Spirit that uh, no matter where they're at and wherever they go, they always have this connection, this paraclete. Um, now, that's, that's Jesus has promised that. In, uh, in, in Acts chapter 1, leading up to this, um, Jesus uh, says to them in chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Last time we took, a, uh, we, we took notice of the fact that even in the Old Testament, God's Spirit becomes a spirit of empowerment. It becomes a spirit that gives some strength, some courage, some leadership. Uh, you have different examples in Saul and uh, Samson. Uh, even Solomon, uh, when he asked for wisdom, but the Holy Spirit empowers people to uh, to do things on God's behalf. Well, here's this promise of the the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, that is going to empower them, and they are going to be witnesses. And uh, we read in verse 12 that after Jesus ascends into into heaven. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers in those days. Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, which is interesting because it's 12 multiplied by 10. Uh, it's, the, it's a good synagogue number, uh, but we, we don't have time to discuss all that. But uh, here you've got this, this nucleus of what is, is, is going to become uh, the Christian family on earth. And he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number. He shared in our ministry. Anyway, they have to find someone to replace him, and they continue to uh, gather and pray. We move on over to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now now notice what the Spirit is doing. It's enabling. It's, It's equipping and empowering them to do ministry, to testify, to be witnesses, to uh, proclaim and preach the good news. Um, notice also that the Spirit is like a wind. It, as Jesus said in, in John, it, it, John chapter 3, when he was speaking to Nicodemus, you know, it's like the wind that it blows wherever it wants to, and you can see its effects, but you don't see it, and you can't control it. 
but it has its power. It has its influence. You remember that a, a couple of weeks ago we talked about that influence of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, if you blow on the back of your hand, you can feel it. You don't see anything, but you feel it. You notice it. Uh, here, this now, there's, there's no ignoring it. This is, uh, this is a vast outpouring of the Spirit. Um, they're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Uh, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some of them, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've been drinking too much wine. Um, they still won't accept it. But this, the Spirit is, uh, this isn't subtle. It's noticed. Now, Peter, addressing the charge that uh, this is all um, a lot of uh, you know, drunken phenomenon, you know, oh, they've been drinking, they've been drinking. Peter has two arguments to counter that. Uh, first of all, he says in verse 15, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And I've often wondered if Peter is saying it's just not couth to drink that early in the morning or if he's saying they haven't really had time to get good and drunk like you think. Either way, maybe this is Peter. He's preaching a fabulous sermon and he's kind of opening with a joke. But, but he's opening with something to say, no, this is not too much wine. He says, but let me show you God's word and show you what it is. And Peter goes to scripture. He says, this is what the prophet Joel was talking about. And he quotes from Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And everyone can hear it. All these people who are... Jews who are followers of God. They've come together in Jerusalem. And, and by the way, you may be thinking, well, wait, why, why can't they understand things? Well, something has happened at this point, which um, has to do with their history. You see, Judaism had been broken up. Since the time of David and Solomon, it had been, they had been scattered. Um, generations of God's people, the children of Abraham, had grown up in other countries. They learned different languages. Um, they, um, they are now generations away from their ancestors who lived in the land. They're, they're, they're separated from the 12 patriarchs, from the, from the children of Jacob. They may be able to trace their roots back to that somehow, 
But that's no longer who they are. You know, we see this in uh, communities that, that move to America from other countries. And so uh, we've mentioned the, uh, the Lao community that, that, that lives among us here. Well, now you've got second, third, uh, we're starting to see fourth generation grow up here. They are affected. They have a story that takes them back to their homeland, but they are effectively as American in culture and in language as you and I. And they don't speak the same language that uh, they, they may understand it. They may have some, some skill at it, but they've adopted English. It is, it's, rather, um, it's rather child of us to say, you know, when people come to America, they ought to learn English. They do. They do. Uh, far better than we do often when we go to their countries and have to live there. But you, you stay there for a while, and I guarantee you, your grandchildren will be speaking the language of whatever country you move to. It's going to happen. And that's what's happened here. They can't understand each other. But it's not just that. It's the culture. Now what happens when this spirit breaks out, notice that what's being said is everyone can hear what's being said in their own language. I know the tongues of fire came and separated and gave each of them some sort of empowerment. But don't think that the outpouring of the Spirit is limited to just 12 apostles. That's that's not what's being said here. There's something going on that is all God's operation. The the 12 apostles, you know, now that they added someone in because they, uh, they, you know, they had a drawing and somebody got to take Judas' place. The 12 apostles did not just get superpowers that day. They didn't just gain the ability to speak in some other language. I used to have it in my mind that this event is taking place. And if you've got 12 apostles, then you've got 12 languages that are being spoken. And so you just sort of wander around, and it's sort of like a uh, first century United Nations where uh, somebody is like, you know, wait a second, I'm a Parthian. Who, which one of these guys? Bartholomew speaking Parthian. I'm going to go over here and listen to him. If you look at the, uh, the list of uh, the different groups that are mentioned, uh, how many do we have? Let's, let's take a look. They, they, they say in, in verse 7, aren't all these who are speaking, aren't they Galileans? How then each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, well, I've run out of fingers, that's ten, um, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, Arabs, we're up to 15 at least. And this, this, this isn't even language groups. Now we're talking about just regions. If you go uh, sometime to Ethiopia, you know, we have mission groups in Ethiopia. Ethiopia itself, now it's a rather large country. You don't notice it because it's right there as part of Africa, which is uh, incredibly large. It'll astound us, but, but Ethiopia is rather large. And yet, in Ethiopia, there, there's, there's dozens and you know, tens of, uh, I don't know how many languages they're speaking. I'll just tell you a story that illustrates it. So some of you know our friend um, Alamayu, his daughter Ficker, is uh, a student at Oklahoma Christian, and she, she attends here, and, and she's, she's usually with the Wilsons, and uh, some of you have gotten to know her. 
So in 2013, I had the joy of being with Alamayu, and we traveled all over Ethiopia in the, um, uh, in the Toyota Land Cruiser there. And then along the way on this route, and we went on a very large route throughout the country, um, we picked up some of our brothers that live in the southern part where we do a lot of our work. And they start speaking to one another in their particular language. And often I would find myself preaching, and I would preach in English, which Alamayu understood. He would translate it into Amharic, which is the kind of the universal language in Ethiopia. He would translate it to this fellow who would then preach it out to the audience in Oromo or some other language. I had no idea what was happening to my sermon when it went through that pipe. I have no idea how it came out there. And what was really disconcerting is sometimes I would say something, they would translate it down the line, and people would start laughing. And I was thinking, that wasn't intended to be funny, but okay, we'll go with it. So here we are, though, in this land cruiser, and Alamayu and I are up front, and we've got our three Ethiopian brothers in the back. And I said, so, and they're all talking to each other in their language, and I said, Alamayu, can you tell what they're talking about? And he said, I haven't got a clue. And so he didn't speak their language. They're all Ethiopian. They live right there in, in, in this country. And they don't understand it. They have so many different language groups. It's probably the same with these people. There's no telling how many languages are being spoken there. But here's what I want to point out to you. Because I think this matters. Do you remember a Bible story about people being in one place and suddenly there are a lot of different languages that cause confusion and create the inability of people to understand each other. Sure you do. That's the Tower of Babel. That's Genesis 11. And at the Tower of Babel, the people had all gathered together, but they had gathered together to build a tower and to make a name for themselves. That's Genesis 11. So they had all come together to make a name for themselves, and God said two things looking at their project. He looks at their tower that they're building, and, and just to paraphrase it, God's assessment of this is, ah, when they get together and they start working on things, they can do just about anything they want. That's observation number one. Observation number two, that's not good. Because <laughs> when they get together and start doing whatever they want, they tend to ignore the way it's supposed to be, and it's going to hurt them and hurt others. So God brings in that confusion of languages so that they'll have to find it much more difficult to get together and to unify on their terms. That's Genesis 11. That's the story of the Tower of Babel. But I tell you, isn't that happening all over the place even today? Isn't that the story of human history? That we want to come together and create understanding and unity on our terms. There have been so many different philosophies. There have been so many different isms, so many different political movements. Even in our own nation, even in our own uh, uh, history, we want to create unity on our terms. If everybody will come together under the banner of this idea, if everybody will come together for the sake of this, it's still being promoted. We want to come together and create unity on our terms. 
What happens at the day of Pentecost is God pours out his spirit to show us the only way that all of you are truly going to be unified and come together is if you are empowered by my Holy Spirit. This day of Pentecost, Peter, quoting from Joel, is, Peter is, well, and Luke especially who's writing this is saying, this is a reversal of Babel. That at Babel, the people, you know, God has to confuse that and confound that because they will get together and do something in their own name. But when they become the witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, then they will be empowered, and not only with the ability to speak, but also with the ability to hear and understand. Yeah, I, I know there's tongues of fire there, but... At the same time, I think it's possible to see that this pouring out of the Spirit on all people, I mean, it's also, it's, it's, a, it's as if there's not just a gift of tongues, but a gift of ears. <laughs> um, that it's both speaking and hearing. And, and what amazes everyone is that they hear in their own language what's being said. All of these different people. Um, I think it's, it's too simple to compare what happens on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, to the kind of stuff that we read about in Corinthians where uh, the people speak in uh, sort of a, a spiritual Holy Spirit utterance, uh, you know, the gift of tongues, uh, Paul calls it. And, and Paul just accepts that they're doing this. He doesn't make much commentary on it other than, why don't you say something that makes sense? In other words... God wants people to hear and understand. And that's exactly what's happening because there's no need for interpreters in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. There's no need to make sense of this. God's Spirit is making sense of it. And what Joel prophesied is, uh, is happening. God's pouring out his Spirit on all people, sons and daughters, Young men, old men, prophecy, vision, dreams. I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I mean, there's more happening here than just what happens to these 12 apostles. There's a lot going on on that day. And, 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 and Peter is, is preaching a message that they are meant to understand. Which, by the way, it's... It, it's too simple to compare this to kind of um, um, you know, an unintelligible uh, utterance. That, and, and this is what we often get caught up in. We worry about, well, what about the gift of tongues today? What about the gift of tongues today? Just, I would recommend, and I don't mean to be crass or rude, I'd recommend just, we just set all that aside when we're reading Acts 2. Because what's happening in Acts 2 is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's not some sort of act of worship where something can be understood or not understood and you know let's set that aside because I think that's an unfair comparison what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is is that there is a miracle of understanding the Holy Spirit empowers the ability to speak and be understood because if you have all of these different groups from all of these different uh, uh, they speak all these different language groups but they are at root the people of God they need to hear this message and they need to hear the truth about the identity of Jesus Christ. And Peter's message 
says to them that um, Jesus of Nazareth uh, is Lord and Messiah. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The message that the, uh, all the people of Israel who are scattered need to hear is that the Messiah has come, that Jesus of Nazareth is that Messiah, the one they crucified. Now, that's the point that in their understanding, they realize that in, they've messed up. Their response is essentially, we just killed our rescuer, the one that God sent to save us, and we killed him. Now what are we going to do? They have concluded that all hope is lost, and and that would be a natural conclusion. But what they don't understand yet is the spirit and resurrection When the people heard this, they're cut to the heart. Oh, now what are we going to do? Peter said, well, repent. Be baptized, every every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit, like Joel was talking about. This promise is for you. It's for your children. It's for everyone who's far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're just beginning. Pentecost is just the start. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They go from 120 to 3,000. This is the restoration of God's people. But it's not going to stop there. And all of that happened because of the empowerment of God's spirit. His outpouring. You know, I I think that we can pick Pentecost back up and realize that what it means for us today is that when the Holy Spirit draws us together into a unity to make a name for God, then we have just found a much better unity and we have found true salvation. We have found the truth. We're experiencing what Joel prophesied, what Peter preached. And that, that's, that's far better than just having some magic ability to speak languages. That, that, that's, that's not what this is about at all. This is the function of the Holy Spirit so that, that people who are so extraordinarily different that we would even speak different languages come together in unity in Christ. And that reflects God's intent for all of creation. God is restoring what was lost at creation because of sin, because of selfishness, because of pride, because of our own quest to make a name for ourselves. We'll continue to look at these things because I think these things are basic and I think Pentecost is far more basic. Let's not just take Pentecost and put it away in the closet and say, well, that was a first century thing, a little strange, you know, Holy Spirit breaking out, tongues of fire, we don't, you know, we'll just leave that back there. No, no, dust it off. I'm not, listen, I am not excited about having tongues of fire come in here or anything like that. But God's going to do whatever he wants to do. And as long as he makes unity in his way and we are obedient and submit and surrender in baptism, then let the Lord build the unity. Let him build the community of people. By the way, it's going to continue on from here. Next thing you're going to 
you're going to see is uh, when, um, when the Gentiles get the Holy Spirit, uh, they don't, God's not waiting for anybody to have a, a business meeting on that. It just sort of happens. And when, when Peter goes to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, and the Holy Spirit breaks out, and, and they start you know, showing the signs of the Holy Spirit, um, I love the reaction of Peter and his companions. They say, I guess they're in. You know? I mean, what, what else can you say? What else can you say? Uh, God has already moved and spoken, so you just accept it. But the Holy Spirit is not a power or a talent or a skill that we can somehow manipulate, manage, acquire. It is an empowerment to which we, just like Jesus told Peter and the, the 120, you wait, you pray, you be patient, and when God acts, you just simply need to be obedient. And speak the gospel that you know. Witnesses. Witnesses to Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, let's wrap it up there. We're going to sing this song. And if you need to partake of communion, that's been prepared in room 100. Uh, and then after that, James will uh, send us out in prayer. Uh, let's stand. Let's sing together.